Last week, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Central America and Mexico as part of the Biden administration's strategy to address this country's immigration issues. Supporters expected a kinder approach than that of the Trump administration. But with three simple words, Harris ignited controversy. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The vice president's comments outraged many, but even more than that, her visit brought renewed attention to the outsized influence that the United States has exercised in Guatemala for decades. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's June 17th, 2021. Congress is expected to pass a bill that would make Juneteenth a federal holiday. The U.S. Department of Education declares the rights of LGBTQ students are protected by Title IX. An anti-vaxxers protest a Foo Fighters concert attended by people who showed proof they took the COVID-19 vaccine. Here, I would do a parody of Everlong, but our lawyers say it's copyright infringement. Ah, fiddlesticks. Today, I'll talk to my colleague, LA Times immigration reporter, Cindy Carcamo, about the backlash over Harris's remarks and whether the Biden administration's immigration policies are markedly different from those of his predecessor. And we'll also hear from a Guatemalan American scholar about how US foreign policy has long pushed Guatemalans out of their homeland and toward El Norte. Central Americans have been migrating to the United States for over a century. But these days, it's more contentious than ever, especially around the issue of kids and teens arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border alone, without a parent or a guardian. Republicans accuse Joe Biden of not doing enough to keep Central Americans in their home countries. On the other side, immigration activists accuse Biden and Harris of perpetuating the Trump administration's hardline, closed-door policies. Cindy Carcamo is my colleague at the LA Times, and she covers immigration. She's the daughter of two Guatemalan immigrants. Cindy, welcome to the Times. Hi, thank you for having me on. What was the official reason for Vice President Harris's visit to Guatemala, and why specifically that country? This is her first foreign visit. We've had for quite some time an increase in immigration from Central America, primarily from Guatemala. And, and because of that, um, I think she kind of saw that maybe as an opportunity to address the immigration situation there. You have these images of unaccompanied minors in right now convention centers and camps and detaining camps, and people think that they're Mexican, but they're almost exclusively Central American youth. Right. Really, a lot of these kids who are coming right now, you know, they're not just coming completely by themselves. I mean, they are guided by some kind of family member or a smuggler. I'm just giving you an example. Let's say, you know, you have this boy, they, they determined to be an unaccompanied minor. He comes with his uncle. That family member is de facto like a father for him, let's say. He doesn't see them as an uncle. He sees them as a, as a father. But when they get to the border, because he's not a biological father to the boy, they get split up and separated. And by default, the boy is made an unaccompanied minor you're not going to have very little ones coming by themselves. Is They are coming accompanied. But the, the way immigration law is and where the way the policies are right now, the U.S. government is still separating children from family members. 
Then you have Kamala Harris going right to Guatemala and telling Guatemaltecos, do not come, stay in Guatemala. How did the Guatemalan government respond? Well, uh, you know, the Guatemalan government um, is kind of in an odd situation in the sense that Kamala didn't just go to say that, don't come. She also, you know, touted how they're going to be giving Guatemala like 500,000 vaccines, that they're, you know, going to help Guatemala with additional funding to be able to fight the coronavirus. So it's kind of like the carrot and stick sort of thing, right? So there are definitely incentives for Guatemala or at least the Guatemalan government to kind of fall in line with whatever the United States government wants. As to your regular Guatemalan, it kind of depends. Like, let's say if it's a Guatemalan who's a hopeful migrant, who's hope, who's hoping to go to make a trek to the U.S., they're most likely going to dismiss what she says. I mean, this is just the latest U.S. official saying don't come to the U.S. I mean, they've heard it before, and um, it really doesn't have much meaning anymore because most people, especially the people that I've been speaking with, are leaving situations not because they want to leave, but because they're being pushed by a variety of factors from corruption, poverty, environmental, ecological uh, challenges. So I, I think having one U.S. official telling you not to come really isn't going to have much of an impact. Cindy, you mentioned earlier that Vice President Harris, she's not the first Democratic U.S. official to say, quote, do not come to Central Americans. Jay Johnson, the U.S. Homeland Security chief under President Obama, delivered a very similar message in 2014 during a spike in Guatemalan migration at that time. We have said repeatedly that our borders are not open to illegal migration and that if you come here from Central America, from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, we will send you back. Yeah, you know, in 2014, I remember I was there in Nogales when Jay Johnson, who is Department of Homeland Security head, basically told uh, people to not come. This is when we had a large number of migrants and unaccompanied minors also coming to the border. And um, he basically said, there's no free pass. No hay permisos, do not come. We've stressed that there are no free passes, no permisos. Uh, Once an illegal migrant gets to South Texas and that programs like DACA, Deferred Action for Children, are for those who came here seven years ago. He said, you know, it's treacherous and you're placing your child in the hands of a criminal smuggling organization. It's not safe. So it's this whole idea of trying to scare people to not come. And This is something that goes beyond the Republican Party. It's in the Democratic Party. I mean, this kind of rhetoric has been happening for quite some time. So it's kind of interesting that people are making a big kerfuffle about Vice President Harris saying it, because this has been the stance for the Democrats uh, for quite some time. With most people, they figured, hey, Kamala Harris was attorney general in California. California is a sanctuary state. Maybe she's going to bring a little bit of that California open borders vibe to her current position. You talked to some of these upset activists. What did you hear from them? Basically, what they're saying is that they're disappointed in the rhetoric and that what she said was inappropriate. Um, You know, how is it that she can go to basically someone's house and tell them how to act, (laughs) right? 
she was conflating these two phenomena, right? So you have people, yes, who are coming here clandestinely, who are, you know, sneaking in without inspection. But the vast majority of the people who are coming to the border are asking for asylum, which is completely legal within U.S. and international law. Basically, what she's saying is you might have a good asylum claim, but we're not letting you in. (laughs) And actually, there is some truth to that because the Biden administration has decided to keep some of Trump's policies, specifically Title 42, that um, essentially closed the border to all non-essential travel and, and it authorized expulsion of asylum seekers without due process. What the Trump administration did with Title 42 was they were able to use the pandemic as a way to keep immigrants from coming because we're in this health crisis. And so Biden has kept Title 42. So people were very upset with it, but it shouldn't really come as a surprise because she's part of an administration that has kept some of these Trump policies. Why do you think she said it then? Was it to literally tell the world, sorry, we're not going to change what was the past? Or is this part of a longer game for the Biden administration? The message was not meant for uh, immigrant hopefuls. The the message was meant for people who are really upset with what is happening along the U.S.-Mexico border, who see these images on their television or smartphone or whatever it is, showing, you know, uh, what looks like a chaotic situation at the border. And, And so really, it's for the American voter who's on the fence about immigration, who doesn't like what is happening along the border, You know, this also kind of goes in line with the whole idea of Democrats also trying to appease immigration hardliners, which happened under the Obama administration, right? What the Obama administration did was, you know, enact a lot of these hardline policies. And there's a reason why the left nicknamed him as a a deporter in chief, but never came through with the second part of it, right? Never came through with immigration reform. And now with Vice President Harris, I don't see how there would be any other kind of other conclusion. To quote the talking heads, same as it ever was. Thank you so much for this interview, Cindy. Thank you. Coming up, migrating to the U.S. isn't always as simple as people seeking a better life. We'll hear what has been bringing Guatemalans to the U.S. for decades. Giovanni Botts is a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Native American Studies at the University of California, Davis. The son of two Guatemalan migrants, his research focuses on transnational migration from Central America to the U.S., with an emphasis on the Maya people. Welcome to The Times, Giovanni. Thank you for having me. Historically, what has pushed Guatemaltecos to leave their home country for the United States? So when we're thinking about Guatemalan migration to the U.S., the reason why people tend to flee places like Guatemala has to do with state violence or poverty. Uh, So people leave for a lot of reasons, but a lot of that's tied to political violence and just kind of the inequalities that exist in Guatemala, not having uh, sufficient social services uh, or access to health care, for instance. Uh, So people leave their home communities as a means of survival, whether that's to go find something to eat, find better employment opportunities, uh, or flee violence. And of course, with Guatemala, there's also been American interventions that have fostered this instability, this political instability. 
Absolutely. So when we think about the role of the U.S. in Guatemala, obviously it's played a huge role in terms of the political turmoil that it finds itself in today. Uh, obviously, the most classic example is the U.S.'s role in overthrowing a democratically elected government in 1954. Uh, that, for a lot of people, say was the beginning of the Guatemalan Civil War which officially lasted between 1960 to 1996. Uh, according to United Nations Truth Commission report, 200,000 people died during this uh, civil war. 83% of the victims were indigenous. Uh, now, the civil war witnessed the worst violence against Maya people since Spanish colonization. There are declassified CIA documents and other U.S. government documents that demonstrate how the Guatemalan military viewed indigenous peoples as natural allies of the guerrillas, hence they needed to be exterminated. The U.S. was conscious of this, and still they continued to arm the Guatemalan military, which again committed some of the worst genocide uh, since Spanish colonization. Do you think Americans know any of this or even just the different circumstances that Central American migrants face coming to the United States compared to other Latino groups? You know, a lot of people either know or they don't care. Uh, I think when people are forced to address uh, the truth of the U.S.'s role in places like in Central America during the 70s and 80s, for instance, uh, we're forced to kind of, people are forced to really um, recognize, you know, the role that the U.S. has played, not just in Central America, but elsewhere in, in the world. In 1999, Bill Clinton apologized uh, to Guatemala for its role in the violence during the Guatemalan Civil War. Um, but even then, it was just kind of an empty apology, because when we think about apologizing, it's all about accountability, right? You know, when they send support or monies to Guatemala, uh, I wouldn't even call that aid. I would call that reparations, uh, which involves Guatemala's, you know, displacement of indigenous folks in order to um, grow coffee. And today it's all about extractivist industries, mining, hydroelectric plants, pressuring people to leave uh, in order for these corporations to extract their natural resources. Displacement of indigenous populations within Guatemala, which then, of course, that leads to a displacement to go up to the United States. And then you have, as we played earlier in this episode, Vice President Kamala Harris going to Guatemala and telling everyone, hey, do not come. Your reaction? You know, it's an old strategy that the U.S. has been using for about a decade at this point in time, almost a decade since the Obama administration. The U.S. embassy in Guatemala has kind of done this deterrence campaign uh, all throughout the countries where they'll put out ads on billboards or newspapers. Don't come, don't come. Uh, the U.S. embassy about a year ago, they would start posting memes in social media where they would use the images of indigenous women and children uh, with the words, don't go up north, the coyotes. You know, they're going to hurt your kids, etc. Um, but basically using fear as a tactic to try to convince people not to come by saying, if you go up north, you know, you're going to catch COVID. The coyotes, all the smugglers are going to hurt your kids, etc. And in probably one of the most damning pictures that they ever used was one of Felipe Gomez. Now, Felipe Gomez died in 2019 uh, as a result of catching an illness at a detention center here in, in the southwest. The U.S. Embassy used this picture to deter uh, potential migrants. So that's that's something we call necropolitics, right? It's the politics of, you know, using death as a deterrence mechanism. You know, I, I took a screenshot of the picture of Felipe Gomez with the words of the U.S. embassies, and, and I'll translate it. It says in Spanish, no sacrifiques a tus hijos, don't sacrifice your children. 
So I think when Kamala Harris says, do not come, you will be returned. That wasn't necessarily just a message to deter people from potentially migrant. That was a threat, right? Uh, and the reason why I say it's a threat is because the U.S. government, as we know, since the late 80s, early 90s, they've used the desert and the border wall as a way to kind of prevent people from coming here. Since then, we've noticed that, you know, migrants will still cross over. They'll just kind of go into the harsher um, parts of the desert. Uh, and the U.S. is conscious that this will kill people. So, yeah, when I hear Kamala Harris telling folks in Guatemala, do not come, I don't know who the audience is, but I also take it as a threat that they will continue these very violent politics. Trump would say he hated migrants. Um, Biden says he loved immigrants, uh, but they both tell them not to come. So, you know, it's the same story. You're doing this interview from El Paso. What are you seeing right there? El Paso, of course, being this gateway for so many people seeking asylum and the, the Texas-Mexico border there being the center of so many of these detention camps. So you have asylum seekers who have a very serious kind of reason to leave. They're being persecuted by these, these elements in Guatemala. Um, I've heard other stories last month, 22-year-old uh, Isio woman in her early 20s died of asphyxiation um, after she crossed into the U.S. I hear of other indigenous Guatemalans who are with smugglers at warehouses here in, in, in Juarez, other people work, living in shelters, you know, just trying to get in. And it's depressing because uh, I've seen where people come from, too. I've done research in Guatemala for the last 10 years. Some of the conditions in different parts of Guatemala, um, you know, they're, they're pretty brutal. I think in Guatemala, what we need to do is to listen to um, the activists in the front line, indigenous communities who have been promoting their own solutions. So these are the kind of the voices that get disregarded uh, within the immigration debate, for instance. Some communities have been promoting uh, the nationalization of electricity, for instance. And in Guatemala, when we look at migration, the real root cause is land inequality, right? Because when we think about poverty, when we think about climate change as being causes of migration, that's what it is, right? It's a cause of migration. It's not the root cause. When you do talk to people who do leave, a lot of them, you know, put up their land as collateral to take out loans to head up north. If they make it and they work and they find a job here in the U.S. and they're able to pay back their debt, they get their land back. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, people who get deported, people who don't find jobs in the U.S. can't pay back their debt, leaving them in a more precarious situation. Giovanni Botts is a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Native American Studies at the University of California, Davis. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, a Black family had their beach property taken from them by the government over a century ago in Southern California. Now the county of Los Angeles is trying to actually give them the land back. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Shawnee Hilton. Our intern is Ashley Brown. And our theme music is by Andrew Ebert. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias. Gracias.